Lord be with you, everyone. And we have just, at this recording, I will be just out of the Bible school that we had in Bernie, Texas. I have to thank you for those of you that were inspired by the Spirit to pray for us. It was one of the most unusual may be the most amazing Bible schools that I've ever had. Uh, I've never seen so many students completely overwhelmed by the sudden, shall I say, sudden discovery of a truth that they'd never known. Um, One student reported, um, texted me a few days later and said he had lived his Christian life by candlelight And since the Bible school, he said, is now under a thousand watt light, Um, everything came into place. I've never seen so many who were actually weeping for sheer joy. And I think just about everybody said that their lives will never be the same again and said it not uh, lightly. It was obvious something had happened. So it was a tremendous time. And before we go to our um, message tonight, I I want to remind you that the December retreat, we still have um, opportunity to come to such a time. A retreat, we only have six hours of teaching, but it, it is a place of meeting with the God who actually is already with you and in you, but we are blind to that so many and our eyes are opened, and we see the reality of this life in Christ. It would be marvelous that you could be there at this December retreat in Kerrville, Texas. Call the office today and make sure you are in before we have to shut the door. Okay, I want to read from Judges and chapter 6. It is um, an account, a story, that we have visited before, I'm sure, Um, but I want to share a few thoughts, that's what I'll say, just a few thoughts of what is happening here in Judges chapter 6, and I'm going to read the entire story. In verse 11, then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord, the I Am, is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the land hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. I am the youngest in my father's house. 
But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Okay, that is the story, at least the beginning of a long story of Gideon. And I want you to notice immediately that expression, the angel of the Lord. It, Without going into a great big background, that is... Um, a phrase that describes a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. That is, it's not Jesus who has assumed our flesh and, and bone and become one of us. No, that was in Bethlehem um, New Testament. But this is Jesus, same Jesus, but he is merely appearing at this point. He comes in the apparition of a human being, and that is termed throughout the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. Angel, of course, as I've told you many times before, is the untranslated word as messenger, or the word bearer of I am. And so we know Jesus in the New Testament as the word. He is the outspeaking of God. He's the revelation of God, and he comes here to Gideon. And because of that, I want to look, as we talk through the story, I want to look more, um, just not at the story of Gideon, but to include all that comes to us in the New Testament, which sort of puts this uh, story on steroids, because it's the same Jesus. It was just a different time in the outworking of the purposes of God. And so let's go, let's come together into this story and meet with Jesus who is the same yesterday and today and forever and understand the love of God and to realize what is happening to us in our lives. The story here, um, it begins right at the head of the chapter. The, the people of the tribe of Manasseh, it's a very big tribe, uh, we don't hear much about it in the scripture, but it's there. It's one of the sons of Joseph was Manasseh. And they are at this point in their history, uh, terrified their knees are bent to an invader. And the invader was called the Midianites. Um, each area of Manasseh was being attacked, it would appear, and the people are terrified. There's no other word for it. They're terrified of these marauders who come down with their camels, which in those days were the fastest thing, the, the latest in warfare. And they, they come in more like a motorcycle gang than an organized effort. They weren't interested in taking over Manasseh. They just wanted all the food. They wanted all the harvest. And so these people of Israel, they have made their harvest, and then in come the Midianites and steal it all and beat on the people. And so they were hiding up in the mountains, living in caves. It was a terrible situation. They, they were living in poverty, and those that were staying, such as the family of, of Gideon, were hiding their harvest and living in the same terror of these thugs that came in at harvest time. 
I, I say it again, that as a tribe and as families, these people are on their knees to these people. They, they grow their harvest in just the hopes that they will be able to save some of it for themselves. And most of it was stolen by these thugs. And so you're talking about a people who have a poverty mindset. You, you know what I mean? Because of this oppressing situation, they, they approach every day with the sense that they're not going to have enough. There isn't enough. I don't have enough. As a poverty mindset. Can't see beyond this plate of just about nothing in front of me. They're hiding in the caves. They're eating whatever's left over from the invasions. Hiding their harvest. And of course, they looked at their... Well, I was going to say ancient history. It wasn't, in fact, ancient history. Not really. I mean, this is the book of Judges, and the previous book is the book of Joshua. Well, Joshua was Moses' right hand, and so the stories were really stories of their great-grandfathers. It wasn't that long ago, you see. It wasn't that long ago that... Israel had been wandering in the wilderness, but they still had those amazing stories of being taken out of Egypt by the ten plagues. They had walked through the Red Sea. They were sustained by manna every day. And so um, these stories were very real. And then the stories of Joshua that came in and took the land. And, well, where's that God now? And, and so that's their mentality there. It's another poverty mindset that God is, of course, we've got the history, but, he, but he, he, he's hidden himself, you see. He, he's gone. He, he's, he's abandoned us. That was their mentality because every time we pray, nothing happens, you see. And, and, and we're waiting for him. We say, we're waiting for God to show up and do something, but he doesn't. There's no thunderbolts from heaven. The thugs are still very much alive and they come back. And so we're dealing with a people whose faith in God is in process of collapsing. They, they see themselves. This is their, their, their image of themselves as their helpless victims of the enemy. I suppose if you could overhear their desperate prayers, prayers up there in the caves as they hid, prayers down on the ranches that decided to live it out. But it was a common prayer of the people, deliver us from these bullies. Make them go away. And they didn't, of course. And so Gideon He's going to be confronted with the amazing idea that that is not what the problem really is. Now, let that sink in. If I were living in those days, it would be hard to say that the Midianites are not really the problem. It would be very hard to say that really all of this thuggery and stealing that's going on is not really a problem. And that's what is going to happen. Gideon is going to be confronted 
with what the real issue is. And that real issue is that he, along with the rest of the people, would come to remember their real identity. We've talked about that in the last weeks, but think about it. This is so so important. That's the issue. Can, can, can we write that in purple across this story? The issue was not the Midianites. It was not all of the outrageous stealing that was going on. The problem here was these people hiding in their caves did not know who they really were. Well, as I say, Gideon's going to discover that. But when we meet Gideon, it's, it's, if it wasn't so utterly sad, it would be quite comical because he is threshing his wheat at the wine press. Now, if you're not agricultural, you might wonder why, what, what's the fuss about that. Well, you know, a wine press was an area, sometimes in a sort of cave area, where you crushed the grapes, and then the wine was made out of the juice of the grapes. And it all turned, I mean, it was the wine press. That's where you made the wine for the family. And now, but it, it's not, it's not winemaking season. That's the, it's not winemaking season. It, it's the wheat harvest. And so Gideon, in this desperate attempt to hide his wheat harvest from the Midianites, has taken the harvest down into the wine press and he's there, uh, crushing the wheat to to get the kernels and and hide it it's i say when he comes crawling out can you get the picture this young chap and he's crawling out of the wine press that sort of underground cave area and as he crawls out he's he's looking around um He's afraid that the Midianites have shown up while he's down there hiding his harvest. And, and so he's, he's crawling out, eyes in all directions, that look of anxiety on his face. Huh. He, he, he's a, in fact, you might say that emerging kid looking so terrified, having used his brain a little bit, but it's a cowardice brain, to hide the harvest, and as he creeps out, that's a picture of his family. Uh, that's his family. And not only his family, but the whole of Manasseh too. And as he crawls out and stands up and brushes off what he's been doing, he looks up. And there, sitting under the oak tree, there was a traveler. At least that's what he looked like looked like he'd been on a journey and sat there with his staff in his hand as if just taking a rest before moving on. And as this boy emerges out of the winepress, the, the, the person under the oak tree greets him. Now, this is what I meant when we, we began talking, that this one under the oak tree was in fact a pre-Bethlehem 
appearance of Jesus and is called the angel or the messenger of I am. And he comes with a message. But of course, he comes, and I suppose you could say he was in disguise. He comes and sits there right under the oak tree, which is by the winepress, which is within the ranch of Gideon's dad. And he greets Gideon with a common greeting. In fact, it's always at the head of this program. He says, the Lord be with you. Or a better would be, I am be with you. And he adds to that. He said, not only the Lord be with you, but he addressed Gideon directly as, you are a mighty man of valor. And so that's what we read in verse 12. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. <laughs> I, you, you see, there's, there's a comic going on in the background here. He, here's this kid desperately hiding from these Midianites, and it's not the first year they've been. No, 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 they're... <laughs> This has been going on, and the people just shrug their shoulders. They've gotten used to it. That's who they are. And now this messenger of God himself comes. Of course, Gideon didn't know that at the time. He thought he was a traveler. Um, And the words are almost mocking him, you would think. The Lord is with you. You're a valiant warrior. Sure, that's what it looks like as you crawl out of the wine press but no he wasn't mocking him this this is god himself who is love sitting there under the oak was in fact the presence of the holy trinity and god himself is addressing gideon as he truly was when he said the lord is with you valiant warrior i say again that's not mocking I know it doesn't look like it, but he is being addressed as he truly is. That is, as God knew him to be. And all that God knows is truth and final truth. This is how God, Holy Trinity, always spoke of Gideon. This is who they knew him to be think about that. He says, I am is with you. It's interesting to me that it was indeed I am, translated the Lord, but I am was actually saying it now. This greeting was on the streets of Israel every morning as you met people in the street that would be the greeting. The Lord is with you. And um, sometimes they would respond, and also with you. Or it would be, and the Lord bless you. That that was saying hello in these times. And in fact, all the way through the scripture, that was a basic greeting to say hello. And that's why we use it at the head of this program. Um, the I am is with you. And this came not merely as a saying, but from the lips of I am himself. I am with you. The Lord is with you. That was the revelation 
that was given to Moses. Uh, do you remember when he, as uh, a shepherd up there in the desert, <laughs> the most unlikely person to go and deliver the people from Israel, he had fled from Egypt 40 years before with a price on his head because he'd murdered one of the uh, slave owners. And, and, and so, he, as I say, he, he was the most unlikely person to go and back into Egypt. But he received this. The Lord was with him. And in the strength of that phrase... In the strength of the reality of that, um, it took him into Egypt and he produced. Uh, he and I am with him together, produce the plagues and so on. Um, the Lord is with you. It spoke and it still speaks of the unchanging God being with us to achieve his goal and his purpose the unchanging God, the Lord, I am. He who never is the I was is never I will be when. It is simply I am. Unchanging God, I am. He who is the fullness of strength, fullness of ability. I am the one who insists on loving us and being with us under all circumstances. I am the unchanging God. And he says, I'm with you. The I am, the Lord be with you. Uh, in Deuteronomy, it's addressed as, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Whatever the circumstance, I am with you. Therefore, whenever you meet another, you greet them with, he's with you, he's with you, he's with you. And they would Affirm that, yes, he is and is with you too. That was a foundational statement to these people uh, of covenant uh, of Israel. I am with you. Um, with is a word we could actually spend a whole hour talking about. It's, it's a marvelous word, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to say quickly that when it says, I am is with you, that could be translated face-to-face -face with you. It, it means um, a union in which there is nothing to hide. Face-to-face, eye-to-eye. It, it means that I'm accepted. I, I'm here, and he looks deeply into me and accepts me and loves me. He's one with you. You're in the same place as he is in, face to face. And, and he's one with you to be to you, in you, through you, all that you need to fulfill his purpose. He's with you, face to face. He's with you. It, it emphasizes that God does not act alone. This is something that Gideon has completely missed. Um, in fact, we all miss it when we ask God to show up and get rid of the problem. God doesn't just show up and shazam, it's all over. No, he works in us and with us. He will not be God without us. 
talked about that before. It's, it's the basic premise of the entire Bible that this God who is love refuses to be God without us. He, he refuses to be God outside of our humanity. And so he says, the Lord be with you. Yes, he is with you. He's with you. He doesn't have to show up. He's with you. And, and, and he speaks then of the presence of God that is not only with us, in us, but also he's out in front of us and, and is also behind us. Or you could put it colloquially, he's got our back and is all around us. It's um, in the Psalms, David often speaks of the Lord being his shield, and that would be better translated as a wrap-around shield. It isn't he's just there and protecting that little bit in front of me. He's around me. He is with you, and he'll never be off on vacation. He'll never take a lunch break. He is with you. That's what it's saying. And he's with you because he refuses, I say one more time, to act alone. All of life, we, he, and you, and I, we face it together as one. The Lord be with you. And of course, that that I've just said, which is a very quick survey of what it means when these people said one to another, the Lord be with you. It certainly meant all of that when I am himself said it to Gideon. But Moses had said some very fascinating words about this when there was a long discussion between him and I am. Do you remember at Sinai? He's up there on the mountain with him in the glory of God, and they're talking. And the Lord says to Moses, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. So then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. That's a fascinating phrase, you see, because they had come out of Egypt the slaves had been delivered only for one reason, and that was to get to this land, which is called there the rest. It was the place of God's promise. It was the place of discovering him in his fullness. And they, they left Egypt's slavery to get to the land of Canaan. And so he, he's been told, the presence of God shall go with you and give you that rest. But Moses wants to underscore it. He said, if your president doesn't go with us, don't call the whole thing off. That is, I'm not going to have some sort of charade here, some, some sort of pantomime uh, of leading people into Canaan, that the whole thing would be just a, an empty charade. If you are not with us, you are the purpose of the journey. You are the presence of the journey. You are the power of the journey. I didn't intend all those Ps, but <laughs> he said, call it off. Your presence is all that matters. And he goes on, for how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight? 
I and your people. That is the acceptance, the delight of God in us, his favor toward us. It's summed up in, I'm with you. I'm face to face with you. Let's go it together. Moses said, if you're not in the picture, there is no picture. We're not going. Then he goes on, is it not by your going with us so that we, your people, may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth? Wow, what a statement. He said that it's your witness. It is that we get up in the morning and know that you are with us in our tents. You are with us in all of our wanderings that day. You are with us. That's what distinguishes us from all the other people upon the face of the earth. Distinguished. That, that, that is what makes us utterly different. You know, the, the, you do understand that you're not distinguished as a Christian by what you wear. I, I don't want to be sarcastic about it, but um, I guess, you know, I've had it in my past that um, unless you wore a certain kind of clothing, um, usually, you know, early Salvation Army, um, you, you, God forbid you'd ever wear anything that looked like you bought it yesterday. Um, no, that would be pride, you say. And so we're distinguished by old clothes. And pity help you, dear ladies. Legalism hates women. Uh, and if you wear makeup, you, if you, you know, you know. It's, it's we'd be distinguished by how we look. We'd be distinguished by we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't go there. We'd be distinguished. No, not according to Scripture. No, no, no. You are distinguished by the fact that the pulsating, dynamic presence of God is with you. The tragedy is that most of those people who think it's distinguished by all of that other stuff, there is nothing of the presence of God with them. There's just the pride of what they don't do. No, this is it, the, the presence of God. Do, do you get it? The presence of God with us in such a fashion that it's realized, not because there's light around us or not because there's some vibration of glory, but rather just, well, the presence. And that presence is love. And therefore, when the world meets us, the they see the eyes of love and they hear the words of love and they feel the presence of love and they don't know where to put you. We are, understand me, the most extraordinary, ordinary people. We talked about that, didn't we? The extraordinary, ordinary people. And these people of Israel, though they were desert wanderers, sort of bedouin in their tents, and then on to living in this land. They, they were, to the world around them, the most astonishing, amazing of all people. You do understand it. The, the world around them looked at them with awe. They were some wonders of the world. If, if you went into the taverns uh, of these various little tribal districts around them, their enemies actually of these people, 
Their enemies talked about them in hushed tones, awed whispers, because everybody knew what had happened in Egypt. Everybody knew of the miracles in the desert. Everybody knew that you don't touch these people. It was all summed up in, I will be your God, you shall be my people. Think of it. The triune God making his home in your home, in your very life. Such a person is not the sum of their natural abilities. As it was said to Gideon, he, he was, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And this comes to a head in Jesus when when Jesus said to the disciples concerning the Holy Spirit, he said, he is with you, he's with you. And by that he meant that the Holy Spirit was with the disciples because they had seen that Spirit upon Jesus and in Jesus. And that was the, that was how Jesus lived his life. And now he, on the eve of his crucifixion, is telling them something is going to happen so cosmic that they are now, they are going to come to a realization of this, that as they had seen the Holy Spirit with and in Jesus, now that same Holy Spirit would be in them. And them being us. That, that, that's the incredible thing we're talking about here. The Lord be with you. And now in the new covenant, it is, he shall be in you. In you. Means he's in the same place. He dwells within you. And, and, and united to you, but not making you into a nothing. You, you know what I mean? This is a union in which you do not lose yourself. I know we've said it before, but it's so important. It's not those songs that are sometimes sung in certain sectors of the church, you know, um, all of him and none of me. Not to, no, that, that means that his presence in you blots you out. Not at all. This is the fullness of God's love presence dwelling in you and ordering there your whole life just by being himself in you but you is there to enjoy him and to be one with him in life so that Paul says, I live, yet not I, it is Christ who lives in me. This is what we're talking about. It is your true self in the self of the triune God. This is who you are. And this is what we meet um, in, in, I mean, Smagny almost takes the, the words out of my mouth. Let, listen, John seventeen twenty two. he says, The glory which you, Father, is Jesus speaking. He says, The glory which you have given to me, I have given to them. What? That the very glory of God comes now to dwell in us that they may be one just, Jesus said, just speaking to the Father, just as we are one. He said, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, 
And then he goes on, and I am in them, that's you and I, and you in me. I mean, I'm tripping over the phrase. What is he saying? That he dwells inside the Father, one with the Father, yet fully himself. And at the same time, he's dwelling in you, and you are dwelling in him. And so there's the Father, and there's Jesus, and there's you, and you're inside each other. And he says that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and that I love them, even as you have loved me. Well, I'll, I'll just simply leave that. No wonder he says you're a mighty man of valor. That that expression means, in fact, a small, well-trained army. <laughs> it, it would actually be a small group of Navy SEALs, you know. And, and what what I am is saying to Gideon, the Lord is with you, but he says, oh, mighty man of valor, you, you, you are a, a small army of specialists all wrapped up in one man. You are more than somebody. You see, under the covenant, the language in the Old Testament is many times a picture language. And and he talks in in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy of this presence of God within us to the point where our enemies see us to be far more than we are. That is, left to myself, I might be just one man. But when this presence is in me, I can be and I can do what one man could never do. And it says, just the sight of you would cause enemies to flee. Come on, Gideon, there's more to you than meets the natural eye. There's more to you, Gideon, than you can think or dream or imagine fascinating, you know. This is spoken to him by the Lord himself. And it's spoken to him in the present tense. Did you get that? The Lord is with you. He is, is with you. You are a mighty man of valor. But but hold it. Um, the man that that is being spoken to, Gideon, has just crawled out of the wine press with the whole thing going on that we talked about. It's a man who is doing what he's doing in a whole network of unbelief. His life contradicts God, disagrees with him. Do you understand? And yet, when God speaks to him, he overlooks that, or shall I say, sees through it to the real man inside there. Huh. I mean, if God shows up under the tree, wouldn't he say to Gideon, what on earth are you doing, man, crawling out of that winepress at this time of year? You you think, you know? Don't don't you think that somehow God would say to him, your cowardice shows? It's been noted, and you're summoned to the divine office for punishment you coward. Instead, 
Don't you often think that the God you hear about sometimes every week doesn't appear in Scripture? When he meets Gideon in this state of unbelief, rank unbelief and cowardice, there's no condemnation. There is no condemnation. He's not condemned for losing faith. He's introduced, shall I dare to say, to a chatty God who says, Hello, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Can I say this very solemnly? Can you hear this? That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our God who is revealed to us in Jesus, now hear me, is maybe, I'll say, but I really mean is, the first person that you have met, that you do not have to hide anything from him. Did you hear me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of unlimited, unbounded, unconditional love that we meet in the face of Jesus is the first person you have ever met that you do not have to hide anything from. He knows you. He knows you totally, and he loves you to an extreme beyond all our natural understanding, and he loves you as you are in this minute, and he loves you exactly where you are in this minute. Okay, and I hope you see the picture here. God facing Gideon just exactly as he is, yet he sees right through to his heart. And he says, I know you. I know who you are. Um, and, and, and so well, Gideon then is way, way out of sync with, with what uh, the Lord is going to say to him. He says, so you think God's going to be mad with you for that? Oh, the state of Christianity in America is horrific. Seeing God as a God who's always irritated with you, seeing God who is always looking for an opportunity to go and pout like a spoilt child in the corner and say, I'm not talking to you. This isn't God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when he meets with this poverty-minded Gideon, far from being anything looking like the Lord is with you and a mighty man of valor, the response of Jesus, this angel of the Lord, is in effect, and I'm putting words here, but it's really what he's saying. If this is where you are, full of fear and terror and unbelief, if that's where you are, then that's where I'll meet you. You're right here at the wine press, hiding wheat. Well, if that's where you are, I'll sit down here under the oak tree just to meet you there. Because it's there. I love you. And we can talk. And I'll give you my heart. And I'll wait for you to catch up. Isn't it incredible? In this presence of utter love, you can be naked and not ashamed. He knows you, but he loves you. God and his covenant promises 
Do not depend on your faith. Now that is very simple, but I know there's plenty here in the States anyway that disagree on that. They think that God is limited by how much we believe him. God and all he promises doesn't depend on our faith. Depends on his He spoke these words concerning us because he believed and he knew in himself that this is the way it is. Whether you believe it or not, this is the way you are, he is saying. God is not a being that is created by our faith. You know what I mean? Our faith doesn't create God, nor does his promises depend on our faithfulness? I mean, God is God is God is God, whether you believe him or not. His promises are true, whether you are faithful or not. You see, unbelief blinds our mind to reality. It chains us to what we have created in our imagination. And we've made in our imagination that a life lived as if there is no God is normal. But that's unbelief and that's blind. While in your blindness and darkness, the real God and the real life is there. Think about that. Oh, Gideon answered. He answered quickly. He'd been thinking about these very things for a long time. You remember, we read it. Gideon said to him in verse 13, Oh, my Lord. By the way, you could translate that as, Excuse me? You know, um, he's just said, The Lord is with you. You're a mighty man of valor. His response is, Excuse me? Huh. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are the miracles? You remember the ones that happened in Egypt. But now the Lord has abandoned us, given us into the hand of Midian. Excuse me? What a challenge. That's insolence. He's mocking the very greeting that was on the lips of every Israelite. He's not denying something happened a long time ago. So he's saying, yes, but... He, he looked at God's track record and he says it's incredible. He brought us out of Egypt and so on. But then he compared God's track record to the circumstances that were around him. And when he compared God's track record to the circumstances, the circumstances always won. And so he ends up saying, are you for real? Did you really say all of this? It's as if he's saying, let me put words in his mouth, if you loved us, if you bound yourself to us in covenant, things would be different, wouldn't they? You would have taken away this problem. You would have set us free, but you haven't. And so we're left with the conclusion that you're not with us anymore. You've abandoned us. And now you're just sitting there watching us fall apart. You're not faithful to the covenant. You're a liar. He had defined the character of God by changeable circumstances. But faith defines our circumstances by the unchangeable character of God. Did you get it? 
He defined who God was by the changing circumstances. So if circumstances were wonderful and peaceful and prosperous, well, then God, God is. Yes, of course God is. But, but when they fall apart, they say, well, God isn't. No, no. We have come to rest our soul, our very core being, in the unchangeable character of God, and he then defines the circumstances. Gideon had missed the point. Back in Judges 3, which is only three chapters previous, it explains that there had been enemies left after Joshua conquered the land, and they were left, and listen to it, in order that every passing generation would have their own history of experiencing the covenant presence and power of God. That is, if God took everything away, no, no, he says, I've left a few, so that you will have to confront those enemies and discover that I am the same God in the same care of you that I was with Moses and Joshua so that he would never become the textbook in which you read of a God long gone. What he did, no, he says, I'll always give you opportunity to face problems and to face pressures, and in that to discover I'm just as real with you as I was with Moses and Joshua. You see, it's in all the contradictions and pressures of life that we discover the grace of God, we discover the reality of Christ living inside us and these circumstances. We discover his dynamic presence. It's, it's in the pressures of life that the reality of the livingness of Jesus causes us to be truly alive. And of course, as we've said, he missed the point of God always working in us and through us. He never shows up with Shazam. Never. That, that, that's religion's nonsense. He never does. He could, but he never does because he insists on working in us and through us. So... Our problem is we've been taught that we in our strength must do something for him rather than we live inside his strength and therefore we live from his strength. It's not what we do for him, it's living from him. And that's the whole story of the scripture. Um, and it's amazing, you know. When Gideon has gone through all his liturgy of problems and circumstances, the messenger, that pre-incarnate Jesus, doesn't answer Gideon. Have you noticed? You need to read this passage over and over. He doesn't answer Gideon. Why not? Because all that Gideon has said is irrelevant. It's his perception, but it's a perception out of the basic lie that God has left us. So there's no debate over that. God never debates over the nothingness of our lies. He won't go down rabbit trails that don't lead anywhere because it's a rabbit trail of illusion and lies. You see, the real problem is 
As I said, it wasn't the Midianites. The real problem is that Gideon and all his family and friends and everybody, they, they, they believe in these lies and illusions. And, and therefore, they're, they're captured in these chains of nothingness. When the Lord speaks with us, he only speaks of who he truly is, not some God of imagination, and also who we truly are. And it says in that, I love it, it says, I am turned and looked at Gideon. You know that look of love, affection, unlimited patience, kindness, as if he is saying, I, I'm going to sit here. You can keep on talking. I will sit here while you ramble until you see me and hear me, the truth. And only then does he continue the conversation. And he continues it as if Gideon had not spoken at all. He begins by saying, go in this your strength. What strength? The strength that I talked about of I am with you. That's the strength. And Gideon immediately turns the conversation to himself. And he says, we're the smallest, the most insignificant. We're the most do-nothing family. And I'm the youngest, most insignificant member of the family. Where did he get that from? He picked it up, listening to the family speak. Now, that family, I, I don't really want to meet the family of Gideon. They, they, they must have been one whining, complaining voice. I mean, where does a young man growing up in a very uh, isolated farm, there's not, there's a big tribe was Manasseh, but when you owned a farm, it was a long way to your neighbor. And, and so he, he just listened to his family, and that's all he heard, that we're the no-goods, we're, we're the smallest family, and we're the most unimportant, we're the most insignificant. No, nobody listens to us. We never can do anything. And, and you kids, shut up, because you're the smallest and the most insignificant. The, the family was steered through life by a spirit of poverty and self-hate, almost self-loathing. It, it's... You see, the mindset of poverty, it's not primarily about money and, you know, stuff. Mindset of poverty is much deeper than that. It, it addresses every opportunity, every challenge of life as, I am not, I have not, I will never have. In our family, we never have it, we never become it. That's my life, I am not. This is the way things are. This is the way they'll always be. I'm probably cursed. That's the poverty mindset. Even though every promise of God is pro your blessing. Every promise of God, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And still, the poverty mindset we're no good. We're the smallest. We're the most insignificant. Huh. It's interesting that the gospel uses language, financial language. It says the riches of God's grace, which he lavished upon us. It speaks of the wealth that is hidden in Christ Jesus. And there's many texts I've just quoted to there. Many. 
But it always, and the word that is used there in the language of the Bible for riches is one that we would use, say, filthy rich. It means that money ceases to have meaning because you have so much. And it says that that's the kind of riches of grace that you have. This is the kind of wealth that you have. What's he talking about? He's not talking about money. Because you see, what is it that money tries to buy? You talk to anybody who doesn't have money and, and, you know, ask, well, if you won the lottery or anything stupid like that. And they would say, well, if I had the money, it would give me peace of mind. Ask a rich man, it doesn't. But anyway, okay, you think money gives peace of mind. If I had money, you see, then I'd be, I'd have security. Okay. And then if you ask the younger generation, if you had money, you'd have fame. And I asked one bunch of kids once, what do you mean by fame? It says, when everybody, everybody's saying my name, everybody speaks about me. Okay. And of course, then I'd be happy if I had the money. And I'd have the power to control life as I wanted to be. Do you realize that which I have personally gleaned from people's own words as what they would if they had money. Well, do you realize you have just said everything that the gospel says we do have and really have in Jesus? And I mean that. I'm not being poetic. I mean that. That is substance. Peace. Perfect peace that passes human comprehension. Security assurance as you sit inside the Holy Trinity, the beloved of God, fame, they talk your name. Do you realize that the Holy Trinity spoke your name before you were conceived? You're beloved of God. He knows your name. He is with you. Happiness? No, not happiness. You have joy, the joy of God himself power to control one's life. It means certainly you're free from the satanic powers that would control you, and you are now one with him who is the perfect purpose. There is no poverty mindset in God, and if you are in him, there's none in you either. But Gideon's family could only see poverty. They were the victims thinking that life happened to them instead of a person who knows themselves in God who happened to life. This is what Gideon had been raised on, listening to words that anchored him in hopelessness, words that paralyzed and left him immobile. And those words cancel the covenant, cancel the whole thought process, imagination and expectant, expectation. And interestingly, if words are prophetic, they attract to them life as they spoke. And again, the angel does not listen to him, but speaks to him as he really is. I I see it as I sit here and speak. You're sitting there faced with I don't know what that harasses your life, 
that brings something less than the dynamic life in Christ. And you think he's abandoned you, but he's sitting in the chair opposite you. No, he's sitting inside your very heart. He's never abandoned you. And he whispers within you that every word I've said is you, that you are a person in whom God himself, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, dwell within you. Christ is your life. And he is the way through the situation you find yourself in. I ask you to hear the word of the Lord. And as the Psalms might sum it up, where it says, I am, the Lord is my. He is that which you perceive as not there. He is that. And he is in you and with you, underneath you, above you and around you, the wraparound shield. He is that to you this night. Reach out, embrace him, and feel his embrace. And walking to tomorrow, the most amazing, extraordinary, ordinary person that you truly are in Christ. I will finish this next week because there's too much left. I've got to finish it. And so, as for tonight, the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing now be with you opening the eyes of your understanding, flooding you with divine light, that you shall see who you are in him who loves you without bounds. So I bless you, and that is right now the way it is. Amen.